I'm Natalie Jackson and this is C40B40. It's season three and we are talking to some legends of English football, but maybe not ones you've heard much from before. Why? Because it's a Euro summer and this year the women's Euros are in England. England 2022 is happening all across England from London to Wigan and we are getting excited about it. This week I'm joined by not one but two awesome guests. Girls on the ball are here. They are without a doubt the most passionate supporters of and advocates for women's football who are found literally everywhere there is women's football going on. I don't know how they do it, we will find out. We are super lucky to have pinned them both down. Welcome to C40B40, Sophie Downey and Rachel O'Sullivan. Hiya. Hello, Hi. how are you? I feel like it, it's a big build-up, but it's deserved. Everybody looks a bit shocked <laughs> when I do it. But hey, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. It's yeah. great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. I've got so many questions for you. But before <laughs> we get chatting too much, because I'm a terror for that, we need to play my favourite game. Who is going to go first is the first question. You can go first. Oh, so, oh yeah. You thought you could have that quickly. <laughs> I thought you were right. <laughs> you, definitely, that means. Okay, Sophie, it's you. So um, our first game is 11 things everyone should know about Sophie Downey. <laughs> I need a full 11. You don't have to pick the 11 out of fresh air. I'm, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think the 11 things fits nicely with, with football. For season three, we've gone football, and okay. it's, so the 11 things fits nicely for a football team. But no, cool. you don't have to pick your own. Don't panic. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. Question one cake or pie? Cake. Or dogs? Dogs. Ability or super strength? A super strength. Warm weather or cold weather? Warm weather. Love actually or bend it like Beckham? Bend it like Beckham. Hot chocolate or coffee? Coffee. Digital watch or analog watch? A digital. Box sets or movies? Uh, box sets, I think, yes. Singing or dancing? Oh. None. laughing at you. Watching football or watching tennis? Watching football. Silly question. You've dedicated your life to one of those. Uh, <laughs> cardio or weight? Uh, cardio. That's it. That's 11. Oh. I think I would have got all those right about you, actually. Yeah? Yeah. We should have done this like we should have done each other. Yeah. Or like done it at the same time and see if we could spark a debate. <laughs> you have a domestic on your podcast. We yeah. have an argument here. <laughs> how do you not oh. know that about me? <laughs> how, yeah, how do you not know this? Um, okay, Rachel, are you ready? Yeah. More nervous or less nervous having seen it? <laughs> I feel like I'm less nervous now. <laughs> oh, good, good. I feel like it's not, it's not stressful. It's good. Okay. Cake or pie? Cake. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Warm weather or cold weather? Warm weather. Love actually or bend it like Beckham? Bend it like Beckham. Hot chocolate or coffee? Coffee. Digital watch or analog watch? Digital. Box sets or movies? Box sets. I love that you both looked at each other for that. You're like, mm, this is a box set situation. Yeah. Um, singing or dancing? Singing. Watching football or watching tennis? Watching football. Silly question again. Cardio or weight? 
Wait. Did you give all the same answers? No, we had two different ones. Oh, <laughs> I lost track. Because <laughs> I was sitting here going, we were just saying the exact same thing, but uh, I chose singing and weights, and Sophie chose cardio and would rather do neither than singing or dancing. <laughs> yep. We are basically the same person there. So. <laughs> Except I'll be on the dance floor. We're just watching football in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I feel like I should have added rabbit. Oh, yes. Well, but we both grew up with, you know, we were dog people, but um, that wasn't a great idea for us traveling and stuff and doing football, whereas a rabbit is a little bit more, um, I guess, manageable. Although now he's basically a small dog, so that's slightly backfired. But <laughs> yeah, and it, he needs his own category. He's, he's got a fun name. It's what it, it's, it's, I feel like it's something Alex got related. It is. It's Scotty. <laughs> Scotty! Oh, I should have done my research better. I had a vibe. I was like, I, don't, I can't remember. Scotty, how is he? Yeah. He's good, yeah. Yeah, he's good. He's, he's almost 10 years old next week I think yeah so um good he's good he's Scotty. been on quite a few football trips with us so. yeah this will be his third Euros so this will be easier for him <laughs> in his older age he won't have to travel <laughs> oh I love it I love him I, I love seeing pictures of him traveling places with you right I feel like we need to rewind we need to rewind because I know too much about the I know, I don't, not too much I know just enough about, about the history of you guys but people might not know people might not know who you are and what you do even though they should um so I have obviously followed your journey for potentially as long as it's been going really um since 2012 when you guys started doing the work that you do so you and I were at university together back in the day I've got some questions about before then there I feel because I feel like I don't know I don't know enough about pre then obviously I know about how the shenanigans we got up to in, in Durham. But um, but yeah, but I last saw you in a car park in Rotherham. <laughs> yep. That, was it, that sounds it was glorious. Those, it was one of those random meetings where you're just like, oh, you, what are you doing here? It wasn't as random as it sounds because we were watching an England game. And to be fair, I think if, if it's rare that I will get a chance to go to an England game, but you are probably a, a fixture at these games. Yeah, I think we've done pretty much. I think we missed one for our the night before our wedding, mm. and then which Reasonable. Rachel wouldn't let me go to. Well, um, no, but she was genuinely considering going. Like she, <laughs> she asked me, she was like, "Do you think it's too much to drive up to Doncaster? Doncaster the night before our uh, wedding?" From and where? I was like, how how far would this be? London. Well, we were getting married in London. Well, just not south of London. And she was like, "It's not not that far." I was like, "I swear to God, this is where we have we have to have a line. This has to be it." <laughs> Oh, and but actually, it's still going on because she still likes there was that one game. Yeah. Well, I mean, we still we both still watched it to be fair separately on TV. To be honest, it was not it was not the greatest of games. I think it was a nil nil draw against France, and I do remember watching it at my mum's house, going, "I'm so glad I didn't go." To be honest, because it was. <laughs> I was just... gonna say, did you feel like you were glad you weren't going? Did you feel like this is because I'm not there? <laughs> uh. Maybe a bit of both. No, don't put that in her head. She never <laughs> thought that before. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've done a lot to get to England games. I think that was one step so far. We did change our mini moon to go and see them playing in a field in Spain. Um, so I, I think I couldn't stretch it to the night before the wedding as well. That's the line. We found it. So it's good to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but on the basis that you're not going to get married again because you're already married. Yeah, yeah. Don't need to worry again. No, all good. <laughs> oh, so I, yeah, I, I think it was England, Sweden when I saw you in Rotherham. 
Oh, they lost, didn't they? Yeah. How, I love, I love your brain. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but I did not remember this. I fully had to look at the pictures on my phone and Google who was even it's playing. Two nil. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. my days. Yeah. This is twenty eighteen. It was my child um... is six months old and she's nearly four now. You just remember that. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, we, we we seem to store these random facts <laughs> of our journeys. You were going to say it was Steph Orton's big game as well, weren't you? I think so. Yeah, I think it was it, a big. Um, it was hundredth game. Yeah, it was. Love your brain. <laughs> um. So I have described the work that you do, but how do you guys describe the work that you do? How do you describe it? Um. It's always a tough one because we have changed a lot since we started in 2012. But the objective of Girls in the Ball is to bring women's football to more people in whatever <clears throat> format that may be. When we started off, it was live tweeting games. Um, it was photography. It was interviews, blogs. Um, we, we expanded into kind of vlogs and, and video interviews. Um, and content and as the game grew we kind of adapted we try and plug where the gaps might be so we're a bit more content led now um but i think maybe just a, a platform that that raises awareness and um gives more information as much information as possible about women's football in the uk and ireland yeah i think um the whole landscape of the game has changed massively in the 10 years that we've been mm -hmm. doing this um you know when we started out we went to the Cyprus Cup then next uh, spring and we'd be the only people there, maybe a couple of journalists, but, you know, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be many people there watching the game. So it was literally about just live tweeting it. Um, whereas now, obviously, you've got the big uh, TV deals and, and newspapers and everything. So it's a bit more accessible than it was. So we, as Rachel said, we just need, needed to shift a little bit and kind of we try everything to be honest we'll do you know whatever we can put our hands to uh we like to learn new things and, and try new skills so that's what we're doing yeah the last since September last year we've gone full-time um so I mean it, this is our 10th year and we're coming into back-to-back -back major tournaments because of COVID now we've got the Euros and the World Cup back-to-back which is never going to happen again, hopefully. Um, so it, it kind of means that if it doesn't work now, you know, now is the time to, to take that leap and try, try it full time. But as Sophie says, as the game is growing, there's a lot of different opportunities to try. So for us, we're doing lots of different things that maybe we didn't ex expect to be doing, but are really enjoying. So um, yeah, like it's, a, it's always a... What, what are you doing? So every week we'll split um, and we do post-match interviews for um, the FA Women's Football Show on the BBC One. Um, so there's always a post-match interview with the manager and a player from each team. So we get to do that. Um, but it, we also kind of, our title is floor manager on the ground at the match. So basically we're giving the studio information about the squads and, and substitutes and cards and goals and stuff like that. Um, and what's great about that, job is that we can still do what we would normally do for girls in the ball so so if you can still do you know live updates from the game i can still do photography um and we're doing this work as well um i've got a regular podcast gig every week um sophie's doing work for the guardian yeah. um she's co-writing their new women's football newsletter um and has written a few articles for them as well um what else i'm missing we've done some post-match interviews we've done run social media channels for the arnold clark cup and um, so that was like a four month gig um and we do some takeovers uh what else then uh, i'm starting the 19 min 
football show, women's football show started yeah. last month. So I was on that one and I think I'm doing another the one. next one as well. Yeah. So we're involved in that too. So which is cool. It's so just a whole host of things. A host of things. I think we've decided in our first two years of, of being full time, we literally just want to find out what we want to do. So I'm I'm quite interested in commentating, maybe. So if I get an opportunity to do that or even just co-coms. Um we've done that before. Um we when the FA first did women's football games live on Facebook Live. Um, we were brought in to do commentary on the games, um, which is a great experience, but we like we'd had no training. We've never done comms before. So it's literally just thrown in the deep and go, go. I've commentated <laughs> these games. Yeah. Say something. And, Say yeah. something now, go. <laughs> Our first game, a player broke her leg in the first half and there was like a 14 minute like gap. Um, and we were very lucky that we had been to see one of these teams play in Austria in the Champions League the week before. So we had like, something to talk about but like that's talk like that's proper thrown in the deep end right there um sophie's done co-coms on bbc radio 5 live um with five minutes notice so we were at a, a man city arsenal game and someone came up to us in the press box and said that their co-coms person wasn't going to make it do one of you want to do it and for me i'd need prep time but but sophie like you see the stats she pulled out of her head she was like yeah that's fine so she just went on to live radio and co-coms do it <laughs> A match with five minutes notice so yeah we'll turn our hands to a lot of things I was I was on football focus at the beginning of the season with like an hour's notice we were halfway up a motorway and I had to we'd pull into a service station and I made my debut from a field so um yeah that, <laughs> a lot so of different I things. think that speaks to the level of your expertise in this stuff though because I think because you haven't you're not like you know you historically you're not commentators or you're not you know we're not one thing or another you have just gone out there with a view to making this as accessible as you can to as many people as possible. And actually, I imagine that then makes it easier for you to go, okay, yeah, you know, because you don't like, so you, you've you done all the prep for that. Like for you to talk about it, I guess, the prep that you need has already happened because you're just interested yeah. and you know what, what's going on. Yeah, I have that. I, I, it does help, I think. I mean, I think we've done 870 something old games now. So I've got a good uh, bank of knowledge in my head, you know, uh, to keep it, uh, keep me um, going in those moments where <laughs> I'm throwing it in at the deep end, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I do think it's amazing, but I think also it isn't something that you see a lot of people doing. And I'm really glad with the shift that you guys have had over the last six months, year, um, into going full time on this. I'm glad that the opportunities for you to do with the sort of big kids of, of sport media wise, I'm glad that it's you they're calling on because actually you are the ones with all this background knowledge and background expertise. And actually it's giving you the platform to do that rather than it being sort of taken over and submerged by other, other organizations. I was going to yeah. ask you how much you, I guess part of my question was going to be how much you feel that responsibility to spread the word about women's football to everybody. But actually that is the, the core of what you do, isn't it? How, how much do you feel does it feel a responsibility or does it feel, is it just something that you've always wanted to do and that's just a passion element of it or both? Probably a bit of both. Um, I think when we're plunged into a situation where one of us is put on TV live um, or on radio live, that can, that's probably a little bit more stressful. Um, but I think it's more to do with making a mistake. I never want to do that, uh, you know, in terms of, knowledge or you know because people are great at telling you when you do things wrong um but it's less about uh I, I never worry about us doing damage to the cause that we're 
we're working for if you know what I mean it's yeah. I'm, I'm never worried that from a responsibility point of view I know that we're doing our absolute utmost to try and push the game and if I make a mistake it's not gonna damage the damage women's football it makes me feel bad um, and I'm sure we'll get comments on our platforms but uh, it's never it's never worries me that like you know we're, we're potentially kind of doing wrong in that respect yeah I think for me the the responsibility has, has grown over the years you know when we first started out with the idea of just setting up a Twitter account and see how it goes and pulling off the scores and results on a Friday and, and Sunday it was just kind of like um, just doing it whereas now I think the responsibility I've seen with the get growth of the game as it as it's grown I feel that responsibility to do it justice as well um, so I, I do put us under pressure I think um, because I want us to to be able to convey how brilliant this sport is and how the players in it you know the stories that need to be told um, how they should be getting headlines in in the papers you know um, I do feel that responsibility quite keenly. Yeah, I think maybe when we do some interviews with players or, you know, we do something off our own back and we organise, we, you know, create some content with players, you can feel a little bit responsible about getting that out there and getting people to see what's been a really good interview. And it can be frustrating if it doesn't get a lot of engagement or it doesn't get the same level of um, likes and, you know, retweets and comments and, and stuff as maybe someone from the bigger teams, if you know what I mean. Um, so when it comes to dealing directly with players, yeah, maybe the responsibility or clubs, you feel a little bit more responsible to kind of get their story out there because they deserve it. And you guys have such good relationships with players, don't you? I've heard various people talk about the, the best thing about you guys being the relationships you have with players and the interviews that you can get out of them because you know them. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of trust. I hope there's a lot of trust there. Um, I, th I think they know that we're not, I think they know, they know that why we're in this game um, and they know we're, we're here not to try and trick people into a headline. We're here to tell stories and promote the sport and at the bottom of it was a genuine, genuine passion for this the women's game, um, and I think you know they've seen it in the flesh. Like we're we've travelled everywhere over the years, um, following them, and you know trying to promote it to a wider audience. So I do hope there's a lot of trust there. We do get on the, with a lot of players. Um, it makes interviewing them so much easier as well because they know who we are. So you know, they're a bit more relaxed than I guess they might be, otherwise be. Um, but yeah, I think it's good. Especially now, like 10 years on, there's a lot of players that we were covering when they were like in their late teens and they were just starting out or getting their yeah. first, you know, Leah Williamson's always a great example because we've somehow managed to be at every milestone of her career, whether it's for Arsenal or for England. Um, so there's players like that where, yeah, you know, they know you've traveled to an under 17s or an under 19s to cover it. Um, and so because they know that you're, you care about growing the game. So it does definitely help. And I think it helps with the clubs as well. Um, they've seen us around for a long, long time. So they know that we're not, you know, we're not, <clears throat> we're not about boosting our own platform. If you know what I mean? We're actually, we're about boosting the game ultimately. Yeah. And I mean, we need to talk about the statistic. I've seen it on various places. When it's not a pandemic, you guys travel an insane amount. How far do you travel in a year? <laughs> um, I think I would put on over 30,000 miles a year. Um, obviously not during the pandemic, but uh, before that we were doing, we do 
pretty much 100 games, live games a year. Um, that was mostly our benchmark. Um, and they'd be all over the... It just depends where England send us, to be honest, because, you know, the year where we go to Kazakhstan and Russia, <laughs> there's slightly more miles than the, the, um, the, other, the other times. But, yeah, it's um, it's been... A lot of miles, I think. A lot of miles, a lot of games. We hit 800 games last October. Yeah. So we're up to 875 or something now. Um, but yeah, it's a well, the thing is as well, is that we're both very passionate about travel. So it just makes that those days when we're getting up at stupid o'clock or, or coming home and going straight to work from a, an airport or whatever, um, it makes it much easier. Definitely. And for us, because we can follow you on your platforms <laughs> and see all your amazing travel pictures and get the football news. Yes. I think definitely from my perspective, having having followed you guys, obviously from knowing Sophie from uni, um, I, it definitely, you guys have been the go-to place. If there's something going on in women's football and I feel like, where do I find out more about this? Or even if I want to know what's going on, I want to know the results. I, I have, I grew up a fan of men's football and there's just nowhere to follow any women's football. I had no clue that there was women's football going on. At this point, I think, and for the last decade, I've been aware that it's going on, but it's still not been as much as it's improving. It's still not still not easy to find. It's not as easy as I would like it, maybe, <laughs> to find what's going on and find the stories. And that's where actually you guys have been, particularly on your Twitter, I guess, has been the place I would go and look at to see what's going on. Where are you guys? What, what are you sharing and what are you talking about? Um, how has the game changed in the last decade? How would you, if you had to step back and look at that, how has it changed? Oh, oh well. Um, I think the game that you see now is so so different to the game that we started with in 2012 when we when we started. Um, you know, the big moment in 2012 was the Olympics. Uh, Team GB Brazil at, at Wembley. Um, I still remember the roar when Steph scored that goal. I still like can just picture it perfectly. But I do think that was a catalyst, but the game was just in a completely different place. It wasn't professional yet. It wasn't, you know, um, we had high hopes for that team, GB team, but I do think they probably wouldn't have gone any any further anyway in that. They just weren't at the level where where it needed to be to push the Canada's and USA's of the world um, at that point in time. Um, you know, for the last what, four or five years, it's turned completely professional. Um, you're starting to see the league become People always argue about it being the best league in the world. But for me, the best league in the world isn't necessarily got the best team in the world. That's obviously Barcelona at the moment. Um, but it's the most competitive league in the world. And you do not, especially this season, you don't really know what's going to happen from game to game. Yes, the favourites are Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, but, you know, Reading caused a surprise against Chelsea. So there's so much, um, yeah, in each game, you can never actually say, well, you know, Definitively. Definitively, there's going to be a winner. Who's going to be the winner here? And I think that has come on so much with the professionalization of it, but it still needs to be given time. And I think um, for me, we always want instant results, right? As, as humans, we want it to, we say it's gone professional, so it should be the best. And, you know, we we had women's football bands of 50 odd years that's quite important that's quite important to note that we always think everybody knows this but actually you don't women's football was banned from 1921 to 1971 um because they were drawing in crowds of over 50,000 in the 1920s um during the war and it was very very popular 
Um, and obviously that didn't sit well with people. Uh, so they banned women from playing um, for 50 years. And then the FA actually didn't take it under its wing until the early 90s. So that just gives a bit of context into how far back um, women's football has been you know, held back. Um, so it's a long, long way to catch up. And you can't How expect them to. How much do you think ca- we are still catching up with that? How much still do you catching think up? Still- Absolutely, a hundred percent. Because when you look at what was pumped into men's football in those fifty years, we still haven't got that. So, like the game may be professional, but we're not getting the level of investment and, um, you know, broadcast. Yes, we've got some broadcast deals, but when you look at compare it to men's football, everything was thrown at that. All eyes were on that. Everything was, you know, you talk about. You always hear people say, "You're rubbing it down our throats." You know, men's sport was was the thing that everyone pushed everywhere. Um, and that was fine. That was, no one had a problem with that because it was men's sport. Um, but it absolutely is still holding people. Like, you don't have to think about playing football as a boy. You don't have to think about, oh God, where am I going to find a team? Like, is it possible for me to play football? How easy is it? You don't even think about that. Little boys will, wait, you know, dream about being a footballer from a young age and think that that's a real, that's a real opportunity for them. We still have girls, like, yes, we've got much more access to it now, but still not enough. And we still don't have young girls thinking I want to be a professional footballer when I grow up and until we're at that level like we're always going to be playing catch-up at, at the end of the day I think we will always be we're never yeah. going to be but I also the other side of me says we shouldn't have to keep comparing it to the men's game all the time to define whether we're successful or not Um, so it, it just like you say people people's expectations and desire for more information for better football grows quicker than the game progresses you know you, it takes many, many seasons for teams to bed down and actually get a particular way of football or to have players playing at the top of their level. So it doesn't happen overnight. But I think the pressure shows that there is a desire for more and, you know, it it, it does, I think it does help grow it. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, just looking at my own life, you know, I'm what, 34 years old now. When I was at school 15 years ago, 17 years ago, I didn't have the opportunity to play football. So, I mean, I grew up a Chelsea fan men's fan um I did I had no access to women's football other than the odd FA Cup final that came on the BBC every every summer um yeah when England I think I remember when England got into when we hosted the Euros in 2000 and was it five five no five 2005 yes five 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 I went Um, I painted my face with an England flag and I went (laughs) with another of our teammates Jen Jen Heath oh yeah (laughs) um but um, yeah, I mean, the, just the availability of knowing that women's football was out there was just not, I was from inner city London, you know, it, it wasn't something, at an all girls school, we didn't play football, it was something something that we heard of. So I, I started a small st- team at school with my friends when I was 16, but that was all the access we, we really got until I came to Durham and I started playing with you um, and the Durham, Durham lot as well. So um my my journey has not been like I wanted to play football, but I just had no access to it. There was just no way. And, you know, it wasn't the done thing at the time. It wasn't girls didn't normally play mm. football. Um, it certainly wasn't something I could see or feel like I could be. I just watched Solar on the TV and was like, I just want to be like <laughs> like that. But like, obviously, I'm not. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, uh, it's sad that the access wasn't there and it is changing now but I think that has to be a massive responsibility for the FA now is to try and get every young kid every young girl um feeling that they can even just partake in football it doesn't have to be a competitive level it's not about that it's about just having access to the sport 
for me, <clears throat> it's probably a, a little bit a similar story, but um, obviously I grew up in Ireland, if you can't tell from my accent. Um, and yeah, we didn't, there was no really football teams for me to join. But like you, football was a sport I always loved to play in the garden in school. Um, I was very sporty growing up. I'd try my hand at anything. So I think, you know, I did, I did gymnastics and athletics and ping pong and basketball and um, all sorts because and I did ultimately love football but that wasn't really um an option unfortunately uh but when I moved schools when I was about 14 um I was spotted playing football in this in the, the yard and I was told I was good at my feet and I should try out as goalkeeper for the hockey team and um I remember being really like oh, I don't like hockey uh, but I did try it out and I was good at it and I loved it and I played hockey for about maybe nearly 10 years I played uh, club level and I played for my province as well. And um, that was, I got Were really you always in that. goal? Yeah. Did you play in goal? Yeah. You were yeah, good yeah. with your feet. I was good on my feet. They were right. Um, despite being short. Uh, so yeah, I, I was always, I was never a kid that wanted to give up sport. I always wanted to play sport of some, some type. Um, and I did play hockey for, I even went to Amsterdam for a year a year abroad in uni uh I obviously told them it was for educational purposes but really I wanted to play hockey in the country <laughs> that was the best country in the world which I did so um that was brilliant but yeah football's always been I've always been big into football so it was great like to get the opportunity to do that what we've done um yeah it's been great I don't think I ever would have expected it I was thinking I was reflecting this before chatting to you guys I think if you'd have said to us at uni Sophie, this would be Sophie's job one day I think I don't know whether we I don't I was trying to think how we would have felt I remember I remember the Euros happening and I remember I subscribed to um well I think now is she kicks maybe that was the original mag the yeah, women's yeah. magazine still there um, yeah, so yeah. I, yeah and, I, and I subscribe now but I, I can't I don't remember with it, a bit what it was when I but I definitely had something coming in the post that was about women's football um but I think it was, all, so I think there maybe was like a positivity around it and we thought it was all coming and there was something, so maybe we would have done, but actually at the time I was the same as you, Sophia, you know, I am so interested to hear that you like had to start your own team at school. It is insane that, that we were both, and brilliant, lovely for us, but insane that we were both representing a university at a sport that we had literally not really played before. That's crazy. You would never get that for other sports. Yeah. No, you wouldn't, would you? Um... It's it's quite unique, isn't it? And as and as you say, like I would never have, when I was at Durham, I would never have had an idea. When I was thinking about my career going forward, that just wasn't even an, an option, really. It wasn't even thought about. I was thinking about the other things I could could get into, um, but I just never saw working in women's sport as as the thing that could actually make a career out of. It's funny that you say that. I didn't never thought about like uni football teams or whatever because I, I briefly considered dabbling in playing hockey for my uni because they were also in the top league um, and I very briefly like considered went over for a training session but like the Ireland goalkeeper was at my hockey at my uni so that just wasn't like really I just went back to my club I was like you know what my club are great it's fine I'll stay here <laughs> and I think we're like the the roots of you know there is there are some links with the Durham team that play now you know and that and I know there was a push I remember getting some sort of half colours or something. You know, there was some sort of like sports award situation that I remember getting because I was on the committee and we did a lot to sort of push and try and grow the game. And But I also remember the way people who played other sports saw us and thought of us. And I, maybe I think that helped us bond as a team because I think we were 
we were sort of a random sport. You had to sort of defend yourself a bit. It felt like you were a random sport. Um, and we were the only sport where you could play for your college and uni at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, we weren't sort of professionals in any sense in the way that some of the other sports, you know, we had, we had Olympians play in other sports. Um, it wasn't something that we had in the, you know, women's football was, it, it, they, yeah, we, we were maybe the poor cousins to some of the other sports. But actually, yeah. think about the people on our team and the stuff that we're doing now. I think it's really interesting that we've, we've gone in the directions that we've gone. For sure. Um, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was only in my final year there that we were allowed on the Palatinate. Um, before we hadn't been involved in Palatinate at Durham. What and is that for people who don't know what like that is? Like <laughs> the major sport. Or, I mean, I can't even remember it, but it was like the, the high level of sport and all of the, like, the boys' teams were in the Palatinate, weren't they? It was like um, a program, we yeah, support yeah. Of, oh. you know, using the gym and all of that. Sort yeah. of it was like high level elite sport. So yeah, access I, to I sporting facilities. Yeah, yeah we, we're, seems I Seems like an obvious, wasn't. yeah, for God's sake. I think in final year, we were allowed into the gym to use the gym at um, Maiden Castle. I never made it into that gym. <laughs> oh <laughs> my God, I'm so annoyed I by say, this. I was not any kind of elite athlete. I think if it had been, maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't have been, had, you know, had the career path that I'd done. I certainly wouldn't have had the opportunity to play football. That was the first, so I played football, at, you know, in a, in a tournament with school when I was 13 and mostly sat on the bench. That's my, that was my pre-uni football. I knew the rule, you know, I was the captain and one of the coaches of the St. Mary's College football team at Durham, which is my college, purely because I knew the rules and other people didn't. And I'm, I am a good coach. I know, you know, I've coached, I've coached children since and I've coached adults since and actually I am a good coach. I did my first coaching qualifications at Durham as part of a programme there. But actually I had no business being on a university sports team. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that you say you didn't use the gym because you weren't an elite athlete, which is what you're made to, how you're made to feel about using sports facilities. But actually, you don't become an elite athlete until you have access to sports facilities and to gyms. So yeah. that's that's not the way like schools and universities and colleges should be thinking about their sports facilities. They should be open mm. to everybody. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the team came on and we did the things we, you know, as a committee, I yeah. remember working hard to do certain things to try and hit targets to become a more um, accepted sport, maybe, I guess, at that time. Yeah. But yeah, I, it is amazing to me that, that you are where we are and we are where we are. Um, yeah, oh, it's, it's wild. <laughs> love it. So I want to ask you about some of these big games because um, we now have records being broken left, right and centre. Um, I thought I was doing well because at the end of March, I went to Old Trafford. I took my little girl to Old Trafford and we saw the WSL's record breaking. It was Man United's most uh, biggest fan game and it had like 20,000 people and I thought I was doing well. And then you guys only went to Camp Nou and how many people were at that Barcelona Real Madrid game? 91,553. <laughs> I've got a way to go, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the most incredible. I think it's the most incredible experience we've ever had in women's football. And we've been to a lot of games and a lot of important games. But that was just a level above. Yeah, as I say, a lot of games, a lot of really good memories, you know, following England at the 2015 World Cup memories that will last forever but I think that night was just the only minute of silence that I remember was when Real Madrid scored the penalty and there were there was like this barrage of whistles as she went up to take the penalty and then it went in it and it just went suddenly doesn't dead quiet and then it started singing again like 30 <laughs> seconds later but um literally for 90 minutes other than that it was just 
all so engaged in the sport. It wasn't just families. It was men, women, different ages, kids, um, older people. You, you know, there was such an eclectic mix. And I do think there's a lot to learn for organisations from that experience that Barcelona had and the way that they did it. I do think, I think it was um, Susie Rack who said, who tweeted that if people aren't sending people out to Barcelona now to find out what, what they did and how they did it, then, you know, what are they doing <laughs> kind of thing? Because um, we have to learn from that. And I do think it kind of, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few, few days, few weeks. And I wonder if, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I feel in this country, we just think of it as a family sport. Women's football. Women's yes. football is a family mm-hmm. sport. And that's not a bad thing. We want girls to get, young girls to get involved. We want it to be a lovely atmosphere for people to come along. But I don't see why we can't attract other t- uh, demographics of people. Um, and I think there are people out there who would love, love the sport and maybe feel at the moment it isn't for them because it's not talking to them. So we need to try and find a way of attracting, you know, men who aren't dads. Um, just and, men who like just, football. Just men who like football, who just want to support their team. And, you know, um, and I just, I just think there's a lot of work to do. Learning from that experience at, at Camp Nou. Yeah, and I also think when you look at um, how they target men's football fans, they don't target uh, solely kind of families and, and young boys who are playing. <clears throat> they don't target... Yet older people who play football, like I'd say 80% of people who go to men's football, I've just plucked that number out of my head, um, <laughs> probably don't play football. They maybe played it growing up, but they don't actually, their only relationship with football is going and supporting their club. And we yeah. can have that in women's football. You don't have to have some sort of prior connection. You need What I think we need to be tapping into is that club love, that one club feeling. Um, that's what gets people passionate yeah. about the club they love and, and obviously the sport. Um, so there's, I think there's definitely more to do from a marketing perspective. The game at Camp Nou reminded me of a weekend fixture at a men's game. You know, you have the kids there, so it is more family friendly. But then, better. But better. But like it is more. No, but I mean, I mean, in terms of the, the amount of people there and the types of people there, um, it was more family friendly than, say, a Tuesday night fixture that you get. Um, but it had all sorts of different people. And then... Um, Obviously, there were more women there, which is great, than you would probably find in, in, in a, a men's game, especially at the moment. But um, I just think the fact that it was such an eclectic mix and such a nice atmosphere as well, it wasn't, I mean, I, I, I didn't see any trouble, any anything like that. It was just purely getting behind the sport and 91,000 people from, and we met people from all over the world over there. Like, they came. Yeah, people came from everywhere. <clears throat> there was a lot of um, BBC, no, sorry, a lot of British uh, journalists who'd come to the game, which I thought was quite funny because not a lot of them came to the arsenal Wolfsburg game the next day <laughs> and that actually had an English <laughs> team in it. Um, but yeah, there was a, a lot of journalists from um, the UK. There was people from Sweden, from, you know, Portugal. From, I know a lot of fans travelled as well. A lot, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of fans from different countries that just wanted to be part of history, I think. And I, I think this is one of the unique things of the women's game as well is that people want to see good football so while you have your team whether you're an Arsenal or a Barcelona supporter um, you just want to consume as much of the game as humanly possible and you will travel to go and see Alexia Putellis at the Camp Nou even if you're not a Barcelona fan you will come to the Euro final at Wembley even if you're not a fan that's why they've sold it out so quickly yeah. is because people just want to see good players play good football 
um, and I find it less tribal um, than otherwise we normally think about the game. It's just wanting to consume really good football and see the best of the world playing um, and, and enjoying that. And while you always want your team to win, it, it's about appreciating the sport as a whole. And I find that is unique to women's football, I think. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the connectivity between the clubs and the players and the fans. It's a lot you're a lot closer to the game in women's football than you are in men's football. They, they feel an awful lot less untouchable. Um, and I think that fosters a fondness and kind of a fan culture around players as well. So not just clubs. So I'd like to think that during the Euros, you're going to have English people or, or people from different countries coming to games that they don't have any kind of nationality involved in. <clears throat> But they love Chelsea and they know Magdalena Eriksson and they really want to yeah. see her play live or they know Pernilla Harder or they know Alexi Puteas, best player in the world, won the you know player, best player of the world, wars, everything. Um, and they want to see good football. So they'll just go and see Spain play, even if England aren't around. And I hope that we get a lot of that in the Euros because we're literally getting the best players in the world on our doorstep, um, yeah. which I'm just obviously super excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the biggest example in my own life that I see with that is before, because Manchester United have been a little late to the party with their women's team. I'm a Man United fan, so that's as much as I will I will say. Uh, but for a while, we were taking groups of school children to go and see Man City. Um, and in my in my logical growing up child brain, that would be crazy. <laughs> Why would I go and support Man City doing anything? Um, but actually, they were doing such good stuff with their women's team and their marketing and their you know putting out role models and all of that. That actually, I found myself in some ways supporting Man City in this weird, crazy alternate universe. <laughs> and now, actually, even though Man United have their team now and they're very much my team, and my daughter has the Man United kit, of course. Um, actually, I am much less tribal, I think, about it than I was as a child um, growing up watching men's football. Yeah. And so I definitely think it is. Yeah, I, I completely, completely hear what you're saying on that. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same. I'm yeah. a, I grew up a Chelsea fan. I've been a Chelsea fan since yay high. But um, all of the England, Arsenal were the best team. And all of the England players, when I was growing up, Kelly Smith, Alex Scott, they all played for Arsenal. So my elite, my, the people that I saw were in an Arsenal shirt. And so I have a fond allegiance to that too. And it, it doesn't, I always get really uncomfortable when it's London Derby day, because you know, <laughs> yeah. it sort of tears at my heartstrings a little bit. But I mean, it, I think it's just the nature of the sport and how, you know, there were clubs, certain clubs who put a lot of behind it early and then some, some clubs who came on later. And you can't help but have those allegiances to different clubs. I now have a fondness for a lot of probably players in every yeah. single club yeah. in this just because we've been around and talked to them. And um, I, I feel that my tribalness, yeah, as you say, has got less in the women's game because I just want them all to thrive, to be honest. Yeah. That sounds really I think it is, that, it is that closeness, though, I think. You know, we interviewed Bethany England for a previous series of this podcast suddenly found myself caring how Chelsea were getting on <laughs> it is it, it is this closeness and you feel like you know them and actually you're part of something that is bigger than just sport for me if you had to say in I mean you can have a paragraph I was going to say one sentence but you, you may have a paragraph um to somebody who didn't know maybe didn't know anything about football maybe didn't know anything about women's football 
In what ways is women's football different from the men's football they might see just peripherally? Um, well, the first thing I'd say is not to look at them and compare them because they are unique standalone sports. Um, and they have, as we've talked about, they have a different history and a different journey. So it just wouldn't really be fair to compare the two. We often use the example of men's tennis and women's tennis as a, as a good example of the differences in that men are physically stronger and faster. So their game is, is, is stronger and faster. Uh, and the women's game is a, is a bit more technical because they don't necessarily rely on that strength and speed quite so much. So I think we see that a lot in women's football, um, the technical side of things. Um, but you still will have players who can run like 100 miles an hour and score a goal from 35 yards out. Like So that does exist in the game. But I think that is a nice way of, of comparing the two. We never look at Serena Williams and say, yeah, but she got beaten by Roger Federer, so she's not actually that good. We never do that because the two <laughs> games stand alone and they both are excellent in their own right. And they don't, they don't need... Women's tennis doesn't need men's tennis to validate whether it's good or not. Yeah. And I think that, that would be, I, what I'd say for women's football is that it's an elite sport. It's really enjoyable to watch. And the mistakes that happen in women's football happen in men's football week in, week out. So there's no kind of need for us to have to highlight them and share them around the world and tell everyone this is why women shouldn't play football. Um, so, yeah, it's an, an elite sport with elite athletes. And I think with all the investment and funding going into it now, it's only going to get better. Sorry, that wasn't a paragraph. Sorry, right. um, um, I could. You can carry on. The whole page is fine. <laughs> for me, um, adding to that as well, going maybe more off the pitch or around the pitch, as it were, it is an environment where you feel you can be yourself, which maybe you feel you can't be. Um, and I think, in that respect, women's football is a lot more advanced um, than the men's game. You know, it, it's accepting of different people of LGBT. QIA it's um you know you can you can go and be in that environment and yes there's the odd incidents here and there of of bad things happening but normally that's from outside of the game it's someone coming in for a match and thinking they can do that but generally the environment is a safe space to be in you have players who are open and they want to be politic not politically active but they're not unwilling to speak out and talk about issues beyond the pitch so whether it's about equality or um, I mean, a, a whole lot of different things. You know, we've got these these um, role models now who are are not unwilling to to talk about things other than football and to make sure that people feel feel safe and and have a space to be involved in and included. And I think that's really really special, mm. personally, um, because you won't you don't find that in the men's game. That's for sure. And that's actually probably helped us a lot. I think anyway, personally. Um, having players who are out and comfortable to speak about who they are and, you know, their relationships and, you know, they're, they're not hiding things and it makes you feel as a fan represented and, and seen and um, it actually does wonders. So for me, if it's helping me, who is someone who is probably pretty comfortable anyway, I can't imagine what it's doing for people who aren't, you know, comfortable in their skin or, or anything like that. So it, it does also foster that environment, which is lovely to see. Yeah. It, it, it totally is that it's the world how you want it to be isn't it mm -hmm. it's like that and I, I hadn't really thought of it like that till you just said that so I think that is really interesting I definitely I mean 
you know, the last time I saw you, I was at that game with a six month old baby. <laughs> I would never take, <laughs> I would never take a six month old baby to a men's football game. And I think there is that element of, you know, the game I went to at Old Trafford, it was, it was lovely. It's a lovely atmosphere, but it's still football. It's not like a picnic. Do you know, we're not, I mean, we did yeah. take sacks, um, but, <laughs> but it, it's not, do you know, it's not, it's still sport. It's still elite level sport. There's still, I mean, the noise in Old Trafford, I'd cover my three and three quarter year olds is she had to cover them and it was still too noisy for her when we scored, you know, so it is that kind of elite sport that you want and it's everything you want from sport, but also it's fully okay to be who you are. And actually yeah. that, that isn't, there aren't that many places in the world where you can just be that and not just it's tolerated. Like I hate when people talk about tolerance, tolerance of other people. Why are we tolerating other people? Actually, yeah. yeah. We, you know we should be embracing and loving everybody yeah, yeah irrespective of, it's not like I love you no matter what no 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 I just love you <laughs> like it's, yeah it doesn't matter and, but you also see clubs they're starting to do it now recognizing um that if they if they kind of platform those players that does a lot for the club as well do you know what I mean so it's not just necessarily players only ever using their profiles but sometimes the clubs will say we've got this player who, or these two players who are very good at using their platform to talk about these issues. So let's do a two minute video on our platforms about them. And, and it just kind of, it gives, it's giving clubs a bit more social responsibility, which maybe I don't think they feel like they have, not that they don't have in the men's game, but they don't need to have it because yeah, and haven't they're had doing it. just fine. No. Yeah. And, I and think- we've seen, you know, things like, Megan Rapino, um, the American player who had, you know, she was one of the first people in the world, never mind players, to take a knee about something that she was passionate about in, in her sport. And actually, she was she was hounded for that. There was all sorts of issues Vilified. she faced around that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and actually now we're, you know, several years on, we are seeing sport and football. You know, how many clubs are is it common to see now, you know, players taking a knee before the game? protest racial inequality and that was something she did that wasn't accepted then but I think you're Mm -hmm. right it is we are seeing more of that and that that is coming from women's football yeah I I think it's uh, I mean I don't think it will be ever ever acknowledged nearly enough that women's football has been in the space where this can happen this these sort of issues can be tackled and you know the way that they talk about mental health as well you know that hasn't been happening in the other side of the sport for so long you know players have been kept away from the 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 media they've been only seen as this one-dimensional football playing human being um and whereas the women's game has been allowed to to show that they're multi-dimensional they have all of these interests all of these act like they're activists as well um and they want the ones that want to speak out can speak out and um i i think it's a really beautiful thing Hmm. ah I agree. Guys, I'm so pleased that we finally had this chat. Tell me what you guys are up to for the next, what's your, what's your wider plans for the next year, couple of years? Um, oh, you know, just a home Euros. Um, that's the biggest thing on the horizon. <laughs> a little I think. home Euros. Just a little, yeah. little one. <laughs> that's, that's probably, I'm really glad that's coming in our 10th year, actually. It's kind of um, almost serendipitous or something. I don't actually know the full definition of that word, but I think I used it right. Um, but the fact that, yeah, it's coming in our 10th year and the year that we're, you know, gone full, full time to have a home Euros is, um, I think, going to be a highlight, a massive, massive highlight in what we're doing 
Um, and then we've between the Euros and the, the World Cup, there'll be some more qualifiers we'll be traveling to. Um, obviously another season and then yeah. um, a, a very, very big World Cup in New Zealand and Australia next year. That yeah, adds your be... travel. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, that will add, we'll do 32,000 miles just the there alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be at the, um, the PB of a year. <laughs> I, I think it's great that, uh, I mean, I was always wanting it to go down to, to, to Australia and New Zealand. I was hoping they would get the bid just because I think we don't see enough of that game down there. And I know they're like, they are more developed in terms of their women's football than maybe other nations, but actually we haven't seen it ourselves because they're so far away and on a different time zone. And um, I think it's going to be, I think they will put on a brilliant event down there. Um, I have no doubt. They're very good at sport events anyway, the Australians and, and Kiwis. So um, it's going to be an exciting time, I think. And just the expansion of seeing this, but it, it being done properly as well, because I, I think you need to, at this moment in time, you need tournaments in places where you can put on a show and you can have it done properly and done to the best of that it can be. Yeah, we need to be moving away from this thing of using a women's major tournament uh, as an opportunity to give someone a chance or try out a new thing like 3g pitches like they did at the 2015 world cup um you know it's it's not we're not it's that's not the level that you you try things out or you give a country a, a go at a, a major tournament for the first time who who isn't massively investing in women's football for example that's not where we're at it just needs to be the best of the best that is what the world cup is meant to be so i'm glad to see i'm glad that yeah like you said australia new zealand won that bid um, I think there should be opportunities for other countries growing in the game to, to try out new things, whether that's underage tournaments or whatever that might be. But um, yeah, for the for the big one that needs to be in a place that they can properly host it. Yeah. And final question, with all this fun stuff going on and all these uh, exciting events and tournaments planned, how can we follow you? Where can we find out what you're up to and how can we see more of what you are doing? We are on all the major social media platforms. We've ventured into TikTok as well. Um, and Ooh, managed to, <laughs> because we started 10 years ago, we've managed to bag girls on the ball on every platform. So that's, it's pretty yep. straightforward. <laughs> all one word, girls on the ball in Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And we have a website as well. So um, yeah, and keep your eyes peeled for us on other various outlets like The Guardian and Football Ramble. And, you know, yeah, we're yeah. kind of all over. Yeah. But yeah, those are our social media handles. That is how you guys work. That is how I spot you. You're everywhere. <laughs> and if yeah. you're in a car park near the football, you, you guys are probably there in the car waiting to queue and to get out. Probably. Home. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, guys. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. You have been listening to C40B40 from Totally Runnable Limited and C40B40CIC. For more from the team, find us at Totally Runnable on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you are loving our latest episode of the C40B40 Sporty podcast, please, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Reviews are super important to small, self-produced, independent podcasts like C40B40, and yours will absolutely help other people hear it too. Thank you so much, and have a fab day.